0: We will be in Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Let's pray. Lord God, now as we open your word, we ask that you would help us to understand, help us to take in what it is that you want us to know. And Lord, help it to be something that touches us on a deeper level than just words that we hear passing through our minds this morning. I ask that you'd encourage and strengthen us through these words. I pray that you would challenge us and convict us through your word. We ask for your guidance as we study this morning, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. One of my favorite uh, missionaries, that, and uh, I used to read a lot of missionary biographies, just really enjoyed it um still do but i don't have as much time for reading as i used to um one of them was dr helen rosevere and if you've never heard of her or read anything that she's written she's worth taking the time and finding the, something and reading it she's very 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 good but she went to the congo in 1964 or no she'd been there for a while in 1964, while she was there, she had already built hospital, uh, teaching center for teaching doctors and nurses, a number of things that she did, and she was the only doctor in a region of a million people, if you can imagine, mostly rural. But in 1964, the uh, um, rebels came into the Congo, and there was a five-and-a-half-month period where she was held captive with all of the rest of the people from the mission. And uh, the kinds of things that they went through and that were done to them were just horribly evil. Um, and one time, they actually had lined Dr. Roosevelt up in order to execute her. They got the people out with the guns and the whole bit, and one of the 17-year-old students from the school they would built came in and got in the way and stopped them from doing it. And then they they turned it all loose on him, and they kicked him and left him for dead. Um at that point, Dr. Rosarie said she <clears throat> she struggled with believing that God was doing something. And she said it was so hard to watch this, and it's the way that God used to save her life, and yet this young man went through incredible trauma as a result physically. And she just didn't have any idea what God was doing. And then she said in, in a very special way, God overwhelmed her with his love and his concern and, and and his grace just helping her to know that he was there. Through all of the five and a half months of horrible abuse, he was with her. And at one point when she was really struggling, she heard in her, you know, kind of the Lord speaking to her in the quietness of her heart. Something like this. 20 years ago, he asked me for the privilege of being a missionary. The privilege of being identified with me. This is the Lord speaking to her. And then he went on to say, these aren't your sufferings. These are my sufferings. And as she began to think about that, she began to realize she was merely sharing in the kinds of things that happened to God's people down through history, who had stood tall and firm and continued to serve the Lord no matter what was going on around them. Paul also rejoiced in his sufferings, and he believed that it was a privilege to suffer for the gospel. And so just kind of as we head into this passage, keep those two stories. You know, Paul's going to say it, but keep the story of Helen in your mind. We're going to pick up the context in verse 22. <clears throat> but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We studied that last week and the whole idea that We are, when we're reconciled, we are holy in God's sight. We don't have any blemish in His sight. We are free from any accusation in Him. What an incredible thing. And then verse 23, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He said, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that you are reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. Let's move on to verse 24 then. And let's jump right in. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, several translations, most of them, handle this a little differently. But let's just jump in and take it phrase by phrase. Now, I rejoice in what, I, what was suffered for you. <clears throat> And Paul's saying, hey, I'm, I'm rejoicing in these afflictions. I'm rejoicing in these things that are, that are happening to me. These physical things of suffering. Remember, he's in prison as he writes this. He's already been beaten and lashed. He's been stoned. There's all kinds of stuff that's already happened to Paul. So, so I rejoice in, in what I've suffered for you. And he says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Now, we enter into something here where, and actually <laughs> a great habit, is to read it in several translations, because some of them translate differently. So read this in the New Living, and it'll pop out for you even more. But he says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to the afflictions of Christ. Now, he is not talking about adding to what Christ did. Okay, Christ died, and his death and his death alone was all that was needed to forgive sins and reconcile us to God. So he's not saying, I'm adding to what Christ did when he died on the cross for us. It sounds a little bit like that in the NIV here. But really what he's saying, and, and just let's, let's keep going. There's the whole idea of ongoing suffering that he's talking about here. The idea of taking the gospel to the lost and what happens when you do that. What was lacking in Christ's afflictions was the future suffering of his church. And that's what Paul's referring to at that point. He's, when he says, I'm suffering and I'm part of what Christ has me do but it's not because of adding to what Christ's death was about but just the fact that we are associating with Christ and that is going to bring about suffering for us that's pretty much what he's saying right there so I fill it up uh, in my flesh and he's talking about the future suffering of the church remember Philippians 3:10. he said I want to know him and I want to be involved in the fellowship of his sufferings again not the cross with the ongoing suffering that the church of christ will have all through time as in different places there are different things happening to people who are um, followers of christ so i fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to christ's affliction now, it's really important that we look at the word affliction here in the greek this word is never used ever anywhere in the new testament for the death of christ okay it's never used in that way it refers instead to things like distress, pressure, trouble, but not death. So when it says, in regard to Christ's afflictions, it's not referring to what he already did and went through. It's regard to the fact that he is suffering now, and he's going through the things that his church is going through. So he feels the things that Paul is going through and that others are going through. He says, in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church christ experiences the suffering of believers because he lives in believers he indwells us and so as a believer is being tortured for his faith or or going through horrendous difficulties for their faith christ is living in them going through those things in his presence with them and so it's one of those things where paul seems to really kind of grab onto this whole truth here and is trying to say to us listen we all share in the sufferings of Christ as we ourselves go through those things. We don't add to what Christ did on the cross. That's not the suffering he's talking about. He's talking about the ongoing suffering of the body of Christ, the church. Okay? So, I came across this quote that I thought was helpful. When believers suffer, Christ also suffers because he indwells us. Remember Acts chapter 9 verse 4. Um, Paul is breathing fire against Christians everywhere and dragging them in and having them tortured, in some cases killed. And the Lord stops him on the road to Damascus and says, Why are you persecuting me? Really important that we remember that. As the church was being persecuted, Christ was saying, You're persecuting me. My people are my body. The church. He's the head And we are the body. Then he goes on in verse 25. I have become its servant. Paul speaking, I have become its servant in the sense of the gospel. uh, By the commission that God gave me. God gave him a charge and that was to take the gospel to the Gentile world. And to present to you the word of God in its fullness. He says, my job is to get up here and tell you about Jesus Christ, train other people to go out and tell others about Jesus Christ, and then to continue teaching you so that you grow and you mature and you become more and more like Jesus Himself. That's interesting because the false teachers boasted about the fullness of knowledge that you could gain only by becoming part of their little sect or their little group that was doing strange things and trying to seek after spirits and other kinds of things. And they said, you can, you can only have this fullness of knowledge if you join with us and you become part of what we're doing. And Paul takes a real slap at that doctrine saying the fullness of God's Word is what I'm presenting to you, the fullness of Christ. And he's using that Word saying it has nothing to do with whatever they're doing in those other places. The fullness of God is what we are presenting to you. And so the Word of God in all of its fullness is what Paul is teaching. Verse 26 <clears throat> Um So there's kind of a flow from 25, I I become its servant, speaking of the gospel. uh, God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. So what is the mystery? That's kind of where we're headed with this right now in this verse. Well, the mystery that has been hidden was the fact that the church would exist. It didn't exist in the Old Testament. There was no church. There was the people of Israel, there was the temple, there was the Levites and the priests, but there was no church that came after Christ. And so the mystery is the fact that there was going to be a church, and also that there would be generations coming down for ages and generations have been hidden until now. Right now it's being disclosed, and we're going to see in just a minute, it's even more than that, the church is now growing and it is both jewish and gentile it is both and so that is that is the direction that it's going there's an implication here that i'd like us to just take some time to think through verse 24 is that tough verse listen to how it goes in the new living verse 24 i am glad when i suffer for you in my body for i am participating in the sufferings of christ that continue for his body, the church. Okay, So again, there's that whole idea of when I suffer, Christ suffers with me because he is in me. And when the church suffers, Christ suffers with his people. He's His church is his body and he is the head. So Paul is writing to encourage the church in Colossae. He wants to remind them that suffering may be a part of what they're going to go through. And in the early centuries of the church, that was certainly true. Many times they had peace and they had all kinds of ability to practice, uh, you know, believing the things that they believed and taking it out to others. And then there were times when they suffered and suffered greatly. So Paul's writing to encourage them. And and part of that encouragement is writing that suffering may be part of the process of growing deeper in their walk with Christ. The Lord may actually use those hard things they're going through to shape them and develop them. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, or we were crushed, is the word there, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Now, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth because he wants them to know what's been going on. They may not have heard from him in a while, and, and they may be wondering, where is Paul right now? So he writes them this letter. He says, I wanted you to know what happened. You know, we were we were in Asia, and, and, and we suffered through some really hard things. These things were so hard that we actually felt we had a death sentence. That's how difficult the hard things we were going through. I love that verse. We despaired of life. And we felt the sentence of death. There's a but coming. (laughs) Verse 9, halfway through, Paul then says this, But this happened, the suffering, the distress, thinking we're going to die, all of that happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Who, by the way, raises the dead. that amazing so Paul is saying hey you know all of these things that we went through the difficulties and and actually feeling like we were going to be killed we thought we were under a death sentence and the hardships were horrible and all of that happened to us for one reason that we would learn to depend on God and not ourselves to depend on God, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, the one who does incredible things. That's who we are supposed to be counting on and depending on. So he said they needed to understand clearly why God was doing this. All of the hardship, all the suffering, being crushed, thinking, are we going to live? Are we going to die? What's going on? The New Living puts it this way, but as a result of those things, we stopped Relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. Now, this is Paul. If there was anybody that knew all that there was to know, and nobody did, but if anybody came close to it, it would have been Paul. I mean, Paul, you know, I mean, he had the Old Testament scriptures and he had training as a rabbi. There's all kinds of stuff. And, and, and he's saying here, you know, we had to learn. Not to rely on ourselves. We had to realize that what's happening is not us doing it. We're proclaiming the gospel. We're sharing the truth that Jesus came, lived and died and ascended into heaven. But it is God that's doing the work. And when we stand out there and we try to communicate these truths in our own strength, we cannot do it. And so Paul says, God wanted to remind us of that. He wanted us to see the reality that we can only do anything of value when Christ is the one that is at work. A while back, I was getting my glasses fixed, and the lady that I was that was helping me was uh, was talking and asking various questions. And finally, she said, "Well, what do you do?" I said, "Well, I'm a pastor at Open Door Bible Church up here." and and she, um, she said, wow, that's cool. And so she's asking me some questions. And then she said, you know, I went to a, to a, a teacher. I think she might have said Bible in there, but she said, I went to this thing. I've never heard this guy before. And he talked for three or four hours and I'm, the bells are starting to go off in my head at this point because I have no idea who this guy is. And she says, you know what? It's amazing. Jesus had five houses, one in Jerusalem, one in Capernaum, and, and he was very wealthy. And I thought, wow, this guy didn't read the New Testament, did he? And so I'm trying to be really careful here. I don't want to, you know, blast her because it's not her fault. She didn't learn it. She didn't come up and say it. And so I said, can I ask you just one question? Oh, sure. Okay, why do you think Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head? If he has five houses, he he wouldn't need to say that. And she kind of looked at me and I said, listen, I I just want to challenge you to read the New Testament. Read the Gospels. When you hear something like this, that's fine to listen to it, but then you measure what the Word of God says against what you've heard. And that's a critical component of what you're going through. Paul said, we are under great pressure beyond our ability to endure. We despaired even of life. And I'm thinking... Do the people who believe in that prosperity message or the name it and claim it thing, have they ever read Corinthians? I mean, what did Paul say here? He said, we were crushed. We were hurting. We thought we were going to die. God intervened, but that's how it felt, and that's what was going on for us. See, the lessons are there for us. They're they're there in the Gospels. They're there in Colossians, Corinthians. Reminders that God uses hard things, hardships, suffering many times. And He uses those things as a potter's hands, mold clay. That's how God uses those tools to shape and mold us. That's how He does it, is through those kinds of things. Hebrews 13, 5 says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's amazing to me how many times in my life, especially when I was quite a bit younger, I would focus on the last part of the verse. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I love that part. That's awesome. That's a great part. What about keep your lives free from the love of money, Mark? What about be content with what you have? See, isn't it interesting? The promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you is connected to be free from the love of money and be content with what God has given you. Why? Because I am with you, and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love the fact that those things are all in that context. And, and it's so easy to jump on that last section. That's a great promise. I will never leave you and never forsake you. But part of that is connected back to be content. Part of that is connected back with don't pursue money and the love of money. Instead, remember that I am there. Be content because I am there. Be, be content because I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you're doing well and good financially. Praise God and thank me for that. And, and and remember, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Maybe things aren't going so well. Maybe you're struggling financially. You're struggling with your health and you're wondering, where, where is God? I've said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Be content. Be content. Because I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The promise there to remind us that we should be content with what we have. Why? Because God is saying to us, I am enough. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am enough. That's the message, I believe. Mark. Are you content? Remember, I I am enough. Various times in our life, in ministry, um, both in South America and here, I've prayed for periods of time about a car, whether it needed to be a bigger one, or one that ran better, or whatever. And, and I, it was always something, Lord, we could do so much more if... And every time I would hear, be content, Mark. I'm enough. I was living um, at one point in in, in Quito, Ecuador, and working by myself with university students. Had a one kind of bedroom apartment, or just a one-room apartment. And there were so many times that even after having been surrounded by people and doing things, I'd go back, and I would sit there and say, God, I'm so lonely. I just... Long for someone to be able to talk to and spend time with who, who knows this kind of stuff. And the Lord was saying, Mark, will you be content? I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Be content. I am enough. Now please don't hear me saying that it's wrong to play for any of these things I just mentioned. But if I'm praying with them for them with a certain um, goal that has to happen for me to be able to be content then something's wrong because I'm supposed to be content that's where I'm supposed to start with what God has already given one point in Detroit we were working and praying and our house just seemed like it was not big enough for all the things that we were doing and and I remember praying many many times Lord if we just had a, a little bit bigger house we could do more ministry and I Remember, hearing in the quietness of my heart, I want to see what you do with what you've got. Or in other words, be content, Mark. I am enough. I am enough. I was last week we sang this song. I'm just going to read the chorus part of it. For the Lord my shepherd leads me, leads me, and He is all I need. In the darkest valley, I know, I know, My shepherd is all I need. When we sing that, do we mean it? When we sing that, are we really saying, Lord, this is the cry of my heart. You are enough. May we learn that truth together. That the Lord is all that we need. We can be content because of that. Well, let's move on. I'm going to kind of pick up the context in 24 and then we'll go on in to 27. He says it in the New Living. He said, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body for I am practicing, I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. And so the sufferings of Christ, which are ongoing, are the sufferings of the church. And, and Christ is entered into that. The message was secret but now it's been made public and that's what he said in verse 25 that the gentiles are responding to the gospel and that the church will be both gentile and jew in the church together he was verse 27 to them god has chosen to make known among the gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery which is christ in you the hope of glory and so here he is saying, Listen, I, I I want to make this known. I want you Gentiles to understand this. This is something that wasn't known in the Old Testament, that the Gentiles would be in some kind of a relationship with God and the Jewish at the Jews at the same time. Now, those who once were far away, it says in Ephesians, have been brought near through the blood of Christ, and those without hope and without God have been given a glorious hope. And all of that is part of what he's saying. The glorious riches of this mystery, the magnificent, splendid, amazing mystery, Paul says, is that the Gentile had did not have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. The Gentile could believe in the Lord Jesus Christ like the Jewish people had to, and both were saved through the death of Jesus Christ. And both, the Jew and the Gentile, were part of the church. That was the mystery. That all of that would take place. And and the whole idea that the Jews and Gentiles would be saved by faith is the same thing. And so he says, this message is the hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the whole idea of Christ in you is that You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. And because of that, you have the hope of glory, the hope of eternity with the Lord. So it came down to that really special phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What an incredible statement. Came across this quote, Christ is willing. I I, I read it and I kind of chuckled from a Jewish perspective, especially Christ is willing to dwell within a Gentile heart. (laughs) Isn't that great? Because I'm a Gentile. Probably most of you are too. Doesn't really matter, does it? Jew and Gentile came the same way. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's something to celebrate. Paul was saying in a very direct and powerful way, all of the ways that society and culture have divided you there in Colossae, none of them matter. matter of fact, I'm sending back Onesimus who was a slave of Philemon and I want Philemon to set him free because he's a brother in Christ now. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what you are. Because you put your faith and trust in the death of Jesus to save you, Christ is in you. And because Christ is in you, you have the hope of glory. That is eternity with God for all of time with the Lord and Savior. God Himself in the person of Christ will be directly and personally present in their lives and in the lives of all who believe in Him. And so all of the things that separated and divided, Paul's saying they shouldn't be there. There should be this family of brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 28, We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with, wisdom, with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So we proclaim Him. That's the whole idea of declaring publicly, openly, truthfully communicating the truth about Jesus Christ and the promises that he has given. And we admonish and teach. We warn and we teach. We counsel and we instruct everyone with all wisdom. And it's with all of the wisdom that God gives us. We go into a situation, maybe we don't have any idea how to answer the question. We don't have any idea what, what's going to be expected of us. But we're going and we say, Lord God, use me. However you want. Use me in some way. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone. And if your translation says perfect, the better translation is mature. God did not say Jesus came to make you perfect here on earth. Yes, we're perfect in God's sight. Yes, we're pure and holy, without blemish or stain. He's already said that, but that's in God's sight. Positionally, we are perfect in Him. And we are in Christ. However, we still have to live here. And that's still the whole struggle of sanctification. Growing to become more and more like Jesus. And so Paul is saying, I work hard. I counsel. I teach. I warn. And my goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Someone who's growing in their walk with Jesus Christ. Someone who's growing in their ability to help others in their walk with Jesus Christ. There's just that sense of, I want my people to grow up. In a mature, growing relationship to Jesus. Came across this quote. Paul tells us the truth about faithfulness in ministry. It involves suffering. Its aim is maturity. And as we get into verse 29, we'll see, and it is a lot of hard work. Okay. And, and, and I, let me just say it. I think sometimes we get we start thinking about full-time ministry, a pastor or a missionary or whatever, and then other kind of ministry. And I, I, I think I would like to just encourage us all to see, just see ministry. If someone's, if someone is working faithfully in Awana, that's ministry. You know? They're giving their heart and soul to working with little kids in a special way. Someone's working with the youth group, that's ministry. And just because I get to stand up here and share from God's Word doesn't mean that this is better than the people working in Iwana. It's not. We're all servants. And we all want to serve and encourage others. So Paul is saying, hey, I want to present everyone mature in Christ. And he says, to this end, helping them to mature in Christ, I labor. And that word there is to spend all his God-given strength to work to the point of exhaustion. He says that's what I'm going to do so that people can learn and grow and become mature in Christ. He said I'm struggling and he says to this end I labor struggling with all his energy agonizing like an athlete but with the strength that God gives him. So to this end I labor struggling with all the energy which so powerfully works in me. Developing and maturing believers. I love, I love what Paul says in twenty-eight and twenty-nine. As a matter of fact, the Phillips translation puts it this way. So I'm going to put it up there so we can just kind of look at it together. It says we finish this this section here. So naturally, we proclaim Christ. We warn everyone we meet. We teach everyone we can all that we know about Him, so that if possible, we may bring every man up to full. Maturity in Christ, <clears throat> in Christ Jesus. And this is what I was, I'm working at all of the time and with all of the strength that God gives me. Isn't that awesome? What, what a great thought. I mean, Paul's job is saying, hey, I want, I want to proclaim Christ. I want people to accept the fact that Christ in you is the hope of glory. I want people to go past that and begin to grow and mature to the point where they can be helping others get to that point themselves. And Paul was never someone who wanted to just do the work and never train anybody. People traveled with Paul regularly, and Paul had people doing things. And Paul sent some here to do this and some there to do that. Why? Because he wanted everyone he possibly could to be involved, doing and helping others to mature. What do we take away from all this? Verse 28, and this is the Christian Standard Version, which I've been enjoying. We proclaim Him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul makes it very clear. This is my goal. This is what I want to see. People saved and people growing and maturing and becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, the implication in these statements, the implication is it will take time and effort. Paul's not saying, by the way, Colossi, I'm coming. We're going to do this weekend seminar, and you'll be great. You'll be good to go. Yeah, I'll just give you all this wonderful stuff. I'll pour in all this information, and and then you'll be mature. Paul's not saying that. He understands this is a life process. Paul himself would have said, "I'm just, I'm just getting started. I'm just growing," and so we need to understand that there is, there is a process involved that takes time, it takes effort. Spiritual growth, just like physical growth, takes time. It takes effort. <clears throat> growing and maturing disciples—that's that's the goal. First Peter 1.23 says this. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring Word of God. So you've been saved. You've been born again. And how is this? Because of God's Word being proclaimed to you. You, you understood God's Word. The Spirit touched your heart, and you responded, and you believed, and you were saved. God's Word never passes away. It's never destroyed. And so you were saved by God's Word, and anybody who else gets into God's Word can be saved through the truth in God's Word too. Peter was teaching as he tried to encourage believers to grow and mature, he was teaching them that the Word of God is critical and it's important. And that's they heard the Word of God and they responded. Then he says in verse 24, for all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. So he's saying, hey, you know, you guys, you're not much more than just grass and flowers in the field. You're going to pass away. Not God's Word. The Word of the Lord stands forever. That should really be an encouragement to us, because sometimes we feel like, oh, man, so much is going on, so much is happening, and the reality is that God's Word stands. It has. All through time, we still have God's Word. People have come and gone. People have died and passed away. But God's Word continues. So the challenge to all believers and new Christians and those who are seeking to grow, we find in verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that we have tasted and see that the Lord is good. And, and 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 Paul is saying, listen, the Word of God. You need to crave the Word of God like you would milk if you were a baby. You need to be pursuing and seeking that growth that would come only through that. This whole idea of encouraging others to become mature is something that as a church we are committed to. And as as people we should be. At various times uh, in my life, I've stopped and looked back and thought about the people who had an impact on me, developing me and shaping me <clears throat> to become uh, and be able to become what he wanted me to be in the sense of serving him. Um, my dad was always an encouragement to me. But I remember a, a man named George Johnson, my fifth, sixth grade Sunday school teacher. And, um, you know, he put up with me when I was, I didn't even sit down. I mean, I was just all over the place. But, I mean, he just kept loving on me. George was a carpenter. He built houses before power tools came around, by the way. <laughs> um, he could swing a mean hammer. Uh, and every Sunday, he kept me in the Word. Kept praying for me. And I remember many years later when I came home on furlough and we were preaching in, in the church there. That was our commissioning church. George came up afterwards, <clears throat> tears in his eyes. He said, I'm so proud of you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he said, I have been praying for you from the time I was in sixth grade until the Lord called him home. There were others. My youth pastor, Dave Obitz, when I was in high school, encouraged me to take leadership responsibility, encouraged me in mission trips that I took and other things. And again, just wanted to see me grow, gave me opportunities, explained how, challenged me so that I would be able to keep on maturing and growing. A lady named Susan Sands, when we were missionary training was someone who just kept taking me back to the Word. She was teaching me other things, but, you know, she was also focusing me on the Word of God and how it changes lives and how I needed to be more and more actively involved in pursuing the Word for my own self, not just for teaching or helping others, but for my own personal growth. There's so many, I, I, and I, I don't need to tell all the stories, but one of the things here at OBDC, at Open Door, that we long for is to see people involved helping others grow. One of the, my favorite things to do is go down to a wand and just take a peek in different places and watch all the people working with little ones, encouraging, strengthening, building up. Take a look in the youth room or some of the other things that are going on and you see people serving. And seeking to encourage and push and help people to get into the Word of God and get into a deeper walk with Christ. We also have people that are prayer warriors here. And we, we need more of those kinds of things. We need helpers in all areas. But, but people praying is such a big one. I know I'm where I'm at because of a number of people who prayed. I, I, really, I really believe that. Um, I was an old farmer in Mexico. Uh, I had never been back since, been back in the sense of being in ministry. And uh, one of the last trips that my dad made, I had a chance to go. Went back to this little village that my dad had helped to plant that church 40 years before. And uh, I, I spoke that night. <clears throat> this old farmer came up. I didn't remember him. And he said, Marquitos, that's a term of endearment. He said, I have been praying for you since you were a boy. This is 40 years. That's a lot of prayer. I needed it. Don't ever think that you've got nothing to offer. Don't think that. We want to encourage people to grow and mature. There's all kinds of ways. And... We can help find ways and we can always be doing other things. But, but one thing we can all do is to pray. And maybe you just pick out one person to just focus on that person every day. You just say, Lord, I want to pray for them. Uh, call someone, text them, send a card, uh, try to encourage them. There's all kinds of ways that we can speak out to other people and in that way minister to them and encourage them to the point where they can come and be involved more. Anyway, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, but let me just say this. I think that one of the things Paul was trying to communicate clearly, and I think Peter was too, that is that getting saved is wonderful. We want to see people come to Christ and be totally reconciled with God. We don't want them to stay there. We want them to start that process of growing and moving. And it takes all kinds of forms. It takes all kinds of time, and it's a different time for everybody. There's some people that get saved, and boy, they just take off. Other people get saved, and they just kind of meander around for a long time before the Lord starts to get a hold of them in in a new and a different way. All of this changes with prayer and with time and with effort. So may we become a body of believers who are seeking to help others mature in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You so much for the encouragement and the challenge that You give us to pursue growing in our own walk, but also helping others to grow as well. Lord, You make it clear to each one of us where You want us to put time and effort, if there's someone special that we should focus on. Lord, I just ask that You'd make that clear. And then, Lord God, I pray that we would in our own walk, continue to pursue you so we can encourage others as well. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.